Good evening, I'm Kevin Day, standing in for James O'Brien. This is No Pressure To Be Funny, coming from the Phoenix in Cavendish Square on February the 22nd, 2015. Apologies for my appearance this evening, by the way. It's the Oscars tonight. My usual hair guy is in Hollywood with Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> uh, the show will last about two hours, or as we call it, uh, Ukrainian ceasefire. Don't often have to leave pauses that long after one of your jokes. <laughs> wow. Uh, we'll be covering a lot of the big news stories at the moment, including, of course, the HSBC scandal, the bank that likes to say, shh. <laughs> uh, if there are any Telegraph readers in, I apologise if the news of an HSBC scandal came as a bit of a shock to you. <laughs> Should have broken that perhaps a bit more gently. Yes, HMRC has been getting flack that only one Brit out of thousands with an HSBC Swiss account has been prosecuted while well, hundreds of French and Belgians have been. But I disagree. I think that simply proves how British people with secret bank accounts are much more honest than foreigners. <laughs> we declare ours. <clears throat> All these initials can be confusing. HMRC, HSBC, WTF. <laughs> One way of remembering it is alphabetical. HMRC is where Dave Hartnett used to be in charge before he retired and got a job with HSBC. <laughs> Uh, and in the interest of balance, we shouldn't forget that HSBC Switzerland did provide £12.5 billion worth of liquidity to keep the banking system afloat in the crash in 2008, mainly in used fibres and Nazi gold. <laughs> in the interest of further balance, they were, of course, part of the banking system that caused the fucking crash in the first place. <clears throat> the Chinese have been coming up with new names for British tourist destinations. This is true. They've, they've sort of Chinese-sized British tourist destinations. So Loch Lomond, this is a lovely one, is Mountain Lake gets you drunk on dreams. It's true. Brighton Pavilion is George and John's Indian Palace. I'm not sure that's as true, Nick. Knightsbridge is place filled with things to attract twats. Uh, Newcastle is known as Wearcoat, not from round here. <laughs> Sepp Blatter has condemned the Chelsea fans in Paris, saying there's no room for racism in football. Wow. Somebody exists that Sepp Blatter can claim the moral high ground over. <laughs> Wow, that's a thought, isn't it? And of course there's no room for racism in football. Sepp, you filled the room up with corruption and hypocrisy. Oh, and racism, let's not forget that. Uh, Chelsea captain John Terry has condemned the incident as well. He said, and I quote, the club stands against all forms of discrimination and that football is a sport for everyone. Anton Ferdinand was unavailable for comments. Uh, the controversial report by bishops of the, C of the C of E that poverty is bad... <laughs> Uh, offers, I think, a genuine alternative government, I think, the acceptable face of a theocratic state. Well, yeah, ISIS has given that concept a bit of a bad name, but the CAV could turn that around, couldn't they? No need for beheading as a form of punishment. You just subtly ostracise somebody at the church fate. <laughs> Ian Duncan Smith. I love the fact that Ian Duncan Smith said this with no sense of irony or self. Ian Duncan Smith complained that bishops only tend to condemn poverty when the Tories are in power. when there's more of it. <laughs> Labour launched the pink bus this week to attract women voters. Tories hit back with a bus that looks like a shoe made of chocolate. <laughs> UKIP ridiculed the whole idea. Women voting. This one makes me feel very old. Samsung have had to warn people using their smart TVs not to talk about anything personal when voice recognition mode is on in case it's picked up by anyone in your address book. I can remember a time when thinking your TV was watching. You was a sign of good old paranoid schizophrenia. <laughs> That's why most of us gave up smoking dope. Uh, there's snow in the Middle East this week. You see those lovely happy pictures of Palestinian kids throwing snowballs at each other. 
before being blown up by an Israeli snow attack helicopter. <laughs> and two Russian bombers flew close to the English coast this week. The Daily Mail headline, and I'm quoting again the Daily Mail headline following two Russian bombers flying close to the English coast. Britain at the mercy of Putin's bombers. I don't think so. Why would Russian billionaires bomb their own houses? <laughs> New York recently went 12 days without a murder. No idea why that was. Are the police on strike? <laughs> uh, now, uh, I'm, I'm pleased, I'm really am pleased to say, you know, you know a lot of the time people say this person's a genuine friend of mine and they don't really mean it. I mean, it's some bloke I used to do a gig with and got a lift home with and he's all right. But, uh, I genuinely, this, this chap is delightful. Um, our music this week, I'm really pleased to say, comes from a man who's appeared on No Pressure to be Funny more than any other guest, uh, which sounds brilliant, but it just means he's the most available. <laughs> <laughs> As a result, we've run out of introductions for him, so let's introduce uh, uh, Everton supporter, Nancy Delolio lookalike, <laughs> gatekeeper to an alternative universe, and murderer of Lucy Beale. <laughs> Please welcome Steve Gribbin! Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Steve. Um, I am, uh, in fact, a Liverpool supporter. So, um, Are you? Been, uh, yes. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Steve. <laughs> I've uh, been shouting at my Samsung television yeah. today. <laughs> As I say to some bloke, I've got a lift run from the gig once. <laughs> Uh, this uh, it's happens that you were talking about football because this song is about football. Um, I love football, uh, but um, sometimes it, uh, the way things have gone over the last five or six years makes it increasingly hard to love. It's a bit like the last eight REM albums. Uh, scandals engulf the game. Uh, FIFA is uh, exonerated over bribery, though frankly that report was not worth the 500 euro notes it was printed on. Uh, somehow Russia got the World Cup, although I think that the Russian Mafia probably think the transfer window is something you throw people out of. <laughs> and uh, Dave Whelan, of course, the chairman of Wigan, uh, quite recently said that Chinese people, and I quote, love being referred to as chinks, and that Jewish people are only after money, uh, thereby almost qualifying to be a UKIP candidate. Um, if only he'd actually said that transgendered relationships cause subsidence, I think he'd have been in, but... Uh, <laughs> So this is a song that, after the recent uh, deal that um, uh, Sky have signed, which is 83% more, they paid 15 billion quid. People have said that football's lost its soul. This is an attempt to sort of bring it back again. This is a soul number for anybody who remembers 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon when the teleprinter was going at 5 o'clock. You can go, what is this called? Come on. This is for all of you who want to get football soul back. Uh, and um, BT, of course, were very happy that uh, Sky paid over the odds or as the um, lovely, dynamic and effervescent commentator Michael Owen said, we are very, very happy. <laughs> but not many people here have BT. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. This one's called The Beautiful Game. Chad Evans frowns. Oldham turned him down. But he has real trouble with the word no. And sorry, said he's going to clear his name. It is just a shame that his victims' names on the internet aren't full show. Cause football needs good role models like Luis Suarez, the racist cannibal. 
Rio Ferdinand calling your mum a slag John Terry with that brown paper bag Joey Barton putting in the boots Wayne Rooney and the granny prostitute What has happened to the beautiful game? Or BT Sky Paddy Fair Betfair to give it its true name We hate racism It's so very retro you're black trying to get past Chelsea fans on the Metro I had some coffee at FIFA it had a lot of sweetness they had more backhanders than you'll find at Wimbledon the commentator's not a liar when he says storage is on fire cause Catter's got a playing surface hotter than the sun they took his laptop, set Blatter erupted. Turns out even his computer files are corrupted. The transfer window really counts. Transfer 500 grand to my account. The Russians gave me some champagne. The next World Cup's now in Ukraine. What has happened to the beautiful game? Like the Katie Hopkins of sport, no sense of fucking shame. The lads gave 100%, as they always do. Cleaners and the ground staff, unfortunately, only it ended up with two. What has happened to this beautiful game? Is it worth 15 billion smackers to see Jeff Sheaves in your frame? Will that money trickle down to the lower league turnstiles? Will it fuck? You got more chance of seeing Mario Balotelli smile. The beautiful game. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, keep the applause going because it's time to meet this month's panel. Please let's hear it for Gronya Maguire, Nick Doody, Alex Andrew, and Robin Inch. That was beautifully done, by the way, the way that you dragged out the applause and then really just went, we haven't got the energy. Just that final smattering of dung that you went, oh, come on, hurry up. I thought I was going to have to do impressions for each one of you. That's what I was worrying about. My Robin isn't as good as it used to be. Neither's mine. I was going to say, Rob, yeah. Let's, let's just introduce the guest stories for the panel. I don't know why you're here. Most of this is for the podcast. You're just being used. Uh, now, um, the subject of Robin Ince's TED Talk in 2012 was Is Rational Thought Thunny and Is Comedy Scientific? Um, hopefully, yes. Uh, we are very lucky to have Robin here because Robin's one of those uh, intellectual atheists who struggle to make their voice heard in a Judeo-Christian <laughs> patriarchy, as uh, I heard Richard Dawkins say approximately 12 times <laughs> last Friday on the radio. Uh, in 2013, Grundy Maguire's Edinburgh Fringe Show was called the One Hour All Night Election Show, which is handy if we could do that again this year, because presumably you can tell us the result and we can all go home <laughs> via the betting shop. Alexandre is a journalist and actor, most recently seen in David Baddiel's play The Infidel, and a regular on No Pressure to Be Funny, and also not well. Yes. <laughs> well uh, we had to Google him for a new quote, because Nick's used all the other quotes to introduce him. And the, new, the, new, the newest quote we got, Alexandre, a new statesman, has a view to emulate Drew Powell Corps' handling of taxonomy. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
don't know what a fucking TED talk is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of dot, dot, dots in that to make it sound, you know, better. Uh, Nick Doody's a comedian, writer, uh, and biped. He's powered by Squarespace. Uh, and the, I think officially the most northern man to attend Oxbridge ever. Uh, <laughs> the most a, northern man. <laughs> he's a prolific tweeter. He's, uh, this is my favourite uh, reason to it. Can't wait to see the BAFTA speech, the cast of Boyhood, given 12 years' time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the panel. We're going to start uh, with Greece because by some fortunate happenstance uh, that rarely occurs on this show, somebody has some inside information as they've just come back from there. Uh, Alex, uh, the Grexit, which is the worst doctors use the economic <laughs> term, Grexit's averted for now for at least four months by the look of things, but you're, you're just back from Athens. What's the mood like? Can you give us some background? Um, well, a week ago it was all very positive. I'm not sure what the mood is like right now. Um, Listen, it is, I think, the first time I've actually um, seen an election where uh, the working class actually voted for its own self-interest. So it's unique <coughs> in those terms. Um, I'm sure it will all go horribly wrong. It already started to go horribly wrong. But I think uh, it, it's the opening of a, of a much larger conversation that we need to have, which is essentially is money in the service of humanity or is humanity in the service of money? Um, and it, it, you know, it's the first time that question is being asked in Europe in a, in a serious way. And we hope that uh, the UK will pick it up, Spain will pick it up, they, they've all got elections coming up and um, hopefully it will build some momentum. This, Nick, it seems that at the moment to be a very personal battle between the Germans and the Greeks. Do you, uh, are the Germans? Well, it does. The no, most, no, it is. We talk. We say. We say it's the EU, but it's, it's Germany driving the the, the the economic debate. It's Germany driving the terms of Greece. But I wonder, Nick, whether we think that they are genuinely trying to maintain stability, or is this the Germans saying to the Greek people, "You chose the wrong party. Go back and vote again for somebody we can work with." I, I think that'd be a bad idea. Right. This is how I see it. Um, say somebody has been constantly flogging you with a horsewhip for a while and call them the current administration. And then you get a vote, and someone else says, I I'm against this flogging. And then they try and stop the flogging uh, by giving you a cardboard shirt, which works a bit, but it's not ideal, and it's not going to hold up. And Germany maybe goes, well, vote again. You're not going to go back to the first guy. Even if the second guy's not going to great, you're not going to go, well, I think the guy who said you always agreed to this flogging is more to my taste. <laughs> You're going to go for the third guy who says, I can stop this whipping, even though they have glowing red eyes and horns <laughs> and a spinning bow tie instead of a nose. <laughs> that, that's how I see it. But the, 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 uh, <laughs> the trouble is, I mean, Robert... But basically, they should cut a deal, uh, because if Greece votes again and it's got worse, they're not going to vote for something more to Germany's liking. They're going to vote for something the, the more. I've got to tell you, though, that's how the mood has turned at the moment. I nailed um, it, right? In, in, no, you have, you have, because because basically, what? Imagine the, you know, you support this football team, and they've got no money, so they forfeit the next sort of ten games, three nil, and then a manager, a different manager, takes over at the very last minute and goes away to Bayern Munich and gets a creditable draw, and everyone goes, "You fucking said you were going to win, didn't you? Mm. <laughs> That's just not good enough." 
Well, it's interesting. Why the, is the, that, the though, that if the right just fuck you over, everyone goes, well, it's what we expect. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not offered the dream from the left, then they've totally fucked up. I, don't under- I haven't got any opinions about anything, by the way. Just so you know, I've given up on it all, right? I was 46 on Friday and I didn't even get a present, right? And... <laughs> Well, <laughs> the, but what I'm saying is that I've just I, because we hear all the, like now, for, you know, how can Greece it, w- with this situation? As we were talking backstage in the, in in the, in the green room near the Maltesers, right? When we were talking about that, and you're going, <laughs> the trouble that. is that you have a uh, you know a, a, a mass media and a, a controlling voice, a fog of misinformation. It doesn't matter what it's like when you look at UKIP now in this country. When you look at the fact that they are now apparently now a legitimate party, partly made by the media by their constant appearances on the BBC, on Question Time and all those other things. It doesn't matter what evidence you're offered of insanity, cack-handedness, lunacy, the fact that people are going, no, but I can't see why they may be the only answer. And in the same way, you know, what we see now is, is that what, people go, look, I really think this might take a while. We haven't got a while. Just keep flogging us. And, and do you know what? Don't give us a cardboard shirt. Make one out of paper cuts. That's what we want to wear. Because we read it in the newspaper and it actually said we'd be better off if we were cut and flogged repeatedly. And though, actually, from my own personal experience, it appears to be agony, I can see why this editorial in The Telegraph is actually correct. Um, remind me, was that the answer to a question? No! I won't be answering any questions. I will merely occasionally be talking and then stopping when I'm tired. Your go! Let's see if anyone can spot tonight the unresolved BDSM issues working their way through <laughs> the uh, left of this comedy. Uh, Gronia, uh, welcome to the show, by the way. Hello. Um, but you've, uh, my family and your family have been through this in Ireland before. Ireland's probably only now coming out of a, a yeah. terrible, terrible economic slump. Public sector workers had extra 20% emergency taxes put on them. Construction industry came to a halt. What's your perspective? Are there parallels with Greece, or is it a totally different scenario? Um, on behalf of the Irish people, I want to say to Greece, we are disgusted. <laughs> we are disgusted. We, you know who we had pulling us through our economy for the last few months, the last few years? Jedward. That's all we had. We had Jedward and that little blonde lad from uh, One Direction. That's all we had. Because Ireland, when Ireland joined the EU, it was like, oh, they're going to help us with roads. Oh, somebody's going to help us. That isn't the British. And they're going to come here and screw everything up. Europe, in Ireland, was like this really glamorous thing that gave us all farming subsidies. And then our economy went well, and we were like, well, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. We're Irish. We're not supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be miserable. We're not supposed to have double glazing. And then, what a big surprise. It turned out it was all a disaster. And then we thought, fine, we feel comfortable with this. We are not supposed to be healthy. We're not supposed to have all our teeth. We are the nation of artists and writers. And now we're broke again. And we thought that's just the way it is. And then bloody Greece comes along with this fucking Acropolis and fabulous hair. And it's like, oh, we're not paying it. I am, I'm disgusted on behalf of Ireland. I'm disgusted on behalf of Angela Merkel. Because I fucking love that woman. That woman looks like like a hungover Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and I am for the EU. <laughs> and I think Greece can just suck it up. <laughs> I like EU because it's a boring superpower. And you've got America that's glamorous and you've got Russia that's creepy. So I'm like, whatever it takes, I am, you know, I want Europe to stay together. We need like a boring 
you know, Tupperware packing superpower in the world. <laughs> and boo-hoo, Greece, boo-hoo. <laughs> well, Greece is... I love the fact that the, certainly the right-wing tabloids, the, the Daily Mail uh, and the Telegraph and the Express all had editorials that basically led on the fact that Varoufakis, the uh, Greek finance minister who's been on the tour of Europe, basically led on the fact that he was wearing a jumper with a jacket. <laughs> right. And Osborne mentioned it as well in one of his briefings after his speech, basically saying, chap's not wearing a tie, how do we deal with this? Right? <laughs> well, uh, but There's a sort of jazzy hipster look going on, does that mean he's cleverer than us? Does that mean he's not one of us? Well, Osborne. what do you think Osborne was going to comment on? The economics? He <laughs> 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 used to fold towels until seven years ago. But this is my point, but this is my point about Germany, because Osborne, to me, well, it seems that, that Britain pretty much is allowing Germany to, to drive this agenda. Because everyone talks about the Eurozone and Europe versus Greece, but it isn't. It does seem to be that there's a personal agenda. And that uh, verifies, is in particular, he's right when he says they don't seem to realise the ramifications of rubbing our noses into it, is that there are a lot of right-wing parties ready to take our place. And the problem is, of course, that no one really expected Theresa to win. Therefore, you've got fairly inexperienced negotiators who the Germans will probably eat for lunch. And then they have to go back, as you say, and say to these people, we won the election and it's one thing, we're not sure we can do it. And it seems to me that that's what Germany actually wants. That they want another election and that they presume that the, the Greeks will go, we've had our bit of fun, we've stuck our two fingers up, now let's vote for somebody who can negotiate. But the, the outcome, whatever, whoever's in power, the outcome is that their nose will keep getting rubbed into it until such time as we give them the Elgin marbles back and they can raffle them off. <laughs> do you know the, the, the inside um, skinny is that the biggest opponent of a deal being struck the last week was not Angela Merkel, um, it was not Disselbloom, it was Rajoy, it was the, the Spanish Prime Minister, who is basically losing in the polls to Podemos, a, a left-wing party very similar to Syriza, and is bricking it. Right. And that's basically what's going on. The, the, there are a lot of people looking at their own elections and thinking, if these people achieve anything, we're in trouble. Um, there's only one prospect more terrifying than Greece failing within the Eurozone, and that's Greece succeeding within the Eurozone at the moment. So, But also, should we not um, acknowledge, Alex, because most of us in this room, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of us, we're good old-fashioned Guardian reading liberals. But no! Good? <laughs> Fucked with liberalism, hate the Guardian. No! Oh. Robin. There was a I buy my copy of the Morning Star in Waitrose, mate. <laughs> we all Nurse, he's story. out of bed again. <laughs> I can't fucking... The Guardian's the worst of them all. I'd rather read the fucking Telegraph than the Guardian. Because, again, the Guardian, you think, well, it's the Guardian, at least they're going to try. Oh, look, here's someone all sad and poor and ill. Now buy these watches. Idiots. Robin, Robin, Oh, Robin. look, I'm Alan Rusbridge. Sometimes Robin. I think about what Grayson Perry has when he has little Yorkshire puddings at his openings, and then I play the piano. Robin. Turn like your... little character from Peanuts. Turn your face back to God and this angle will disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Not just one God, I'm going to have the best of every fucking choose one a, of them. Choose a God. Norse gods, Hindu gods, the whole lot. You'll see a number of elephant heads and one-eyed demons you can't imagine sprouting from my mind, mate. I once, I once uh, Mark Thomas and I did a radio show where we got reported to various people because we did one routine that offended all three of the major faith groups. Uh, we had to apologise, and we apologised by saying to the Hindus, I'm sorry we left you out. 
and we did we did a rather childish routine about for, we did a rather childish routine about throwing buns to the elephant head, uh, and we got the best letter of complaint we ever got from a young Hindu lad at university who wrote it saying, "I found it very funny, but fuck me, you're stuffed in the next life." <laughs> Fair enough. But what I, was, what I was saying before I was hijacked by the uh, angry man in the corner there, <laughs> who seems to be taking 46 very badly. Uh, what I was saying, Alex, we do have to, we have to acknowledge that you know, tax avoidance on a, on a very widespread level was pretty much a, a, an open game in Greece, wasn't it? It's part of the culture. So the, the, some of the problems are self-inflicted. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. That's See, Robin? That's completely fair. That's fair. He answers the question. No rant. <laughs> Lovely. No. That's because he knows something. <laughs> I'm all jazz hands. I haven't, I haven't read a paper for five years. He's got an answer, whereas I'm... Yeah, look at me covering up for my own stupidity. No, listen, I don't know why I don't present the right it's, stuff. It's completely fair. Gr- Greece, Greece was a nation that was very mature with debt, so it was the equivalent of a teenager with a platinum credit card. Yes, yes they spent the money... But the, the burden must be shared between the mm. lender and the person getting the money. And there seems to be no blame attached to the lender, as far as I can see. These people gave money. I mean, I, when I went back to Greece after a long time, it was so obvious the crisis was coming because every advertisement was like, get a loan. Here, mm. have a, can't manage your loan, get a bigger one. And, and this air hostess thrown into the deal for free. I mean, <laughs> well, talking of, talking of lenders, I mean, the, the very high-profile resignation of Peter Oborn this week over the Telegraph, apparently not uh, carrying the HSBC story because of advertising. Nick, we all do topical comedy around this table. Uh, are there any stories you'd be happy to ignore if you have bunged a few quid by because if Prince Andrew pays me 3,000 quid, I will keep stum. If Prince Andrew paid me 300 pounds to keep quiet... Oh, you, was it, was, it was this about when you were yeah, in sixth form? Yeah, it was 20 years ago, so it was a lot more money then. <laughs> I just totally stepped on your punchline, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> but it does seem astonishing, Nick, doesn't it, that a newspaper can so blatantly say, well, fair enough, they're paying us a million quid a year, we're not going to cover this story. It's not astonishing. It's not No, no, no. I just say it's not astonishing, though, is oh, it? Oh, no, because it's not. It's, it's, it's that thing that's what a newspaper is. A newspaper is, is, some, is a way to sell people to advertisers. Hmm. That's the biggest. Fuck me, you've only been sat next to Robin Ince for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you were the cheeriest bloke I've ever met until 15 minutes ago. You've already caught Robin Ince. Well, I'll be 46 soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think newspapers are like, you know, like band T-shirts that you wear when you're a teenager and you're like, I'm a grunger, I, I like Nirvana and this is my identity. Nobody reads a newspaper to be challenged. Like, nobody, no, if you are sort of, your opinions are set and then you buy the newspaper that sort of confirms all your prejudices, whether it's The Guardian or The Telegraph. It's not really very oh, when you said banned T-shirts, I was imagining one with the Prophet Muhammad on it. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Piss Christ! <laughs> oh, you can have the words on it. It's just a photograph. You can't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise walking around a, just a shirt with the Prophet Muhammad and a well, pixelated photograph. Do, but, yeah. you also, in your own defence, how do you know it's him? <laughs> <laughs> well, also the other thing is as well. In the, is it way back in, in Muslim history, around 1050, the reason. Uh, the images of the Prophet Muhammad were banned is because they were being thrown about, but it was to stop fraudulent tricksters selling pictures of the Prophet Muhammad. And that's why he did it. It was nothing to do with the fact that Muhammad decided he couldn't be seen because he's a bit 
It's not like he's avoiding the paparazzi. <laughs> stop auditioning for QI, Kevin Day. <laughs> you, you stop auditioning for angry old men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Graham. That is literally not grumpy old men. Not a t- it it's is. It's angry, angry old men, just a group of old men in a bandstand, all with broken umbrellas, waving them at the sky. Oh, let's, I'll tell you what, <laughs> while you're being angry, let's make you more angry. Uh, the, 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 the bishops opened letter this week saying, I don't think anything remotely controversial in there apart from, uh, do you mind maybe having a look at the idea of voting? And it's, it's been met with a storm of abuse from, from the right-wing press. And, and it's astonishing that it's been... But I, does it bother you that the bishops are getting involved with issues like this? No, at all. I mean, as, as I, I'm not one of those atheists who, who kind of... Uh, I'm not one of those atheists. I've said there's Ganesh, there's lots of the one-eyed <laughs> demon gods I'm going for now. But I'm not... I, I, I think it's great if, if the, the, the church and, and organisation can be used in fantastic ways in motivating people. And I think, you know, I've done lots of kind of, you know, religious... Well, not lots of religious festivals, about three. And, uh, but I escaped every time. Their wicker was weak. But um, I've... No, <laughs> And I, I meet loads of people who are liberal and, and political and interested and they're just because uh, just they're, you know, Anglicans or Catholics or Jews or whatever or Muslims, it doesn't really matter. So I, I, I think it's great if the bishops are going to, you know, use their powers, because as we know, they were all <laughs> bitten by radioactive... Anyway, but it was... Like, Slightly <laughs> <ability> <laughs> advice. Bitten by radioactive <laughs> mitres, anthropomorphic mitres. But it was... Um, no, but I, I think that's great. I think that's, that's exactly what it should be used for. The idea of going, oh, the church shouldn't be Political, you think, well, no, but that's that's what it's been for, you know, thousands of years. Alex, Alex, do you, Alex who cares do you, if that's sorry. political? I don't care whether it's bishops or whoever. Yeah, it's just. Alex, do you find um, this vote, uh, voter apathy seems to be a term that we're very familiar with in this country? Do you find this same voter apathy across Europe, or is it only us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that seems as good a note as any to introduce someone who's going to do a controlled rant <laughs> in front of a microphone. Um, you met him earlier on. If you listened to the pod, you didn't because it was before you started listening to it. But if you got a few arse and actually came to see it and not listened to the pod, you'd get these extras. So there you go. <laughs> Unless they're providing extras on the pod, I don't know. I doubt it. I don't get paid. Why the fuck should you get extra for listening to a pod? Uh, you know this will get cut from the pod. Oh, that's why I'm saying it. By the way, talking about I'll tax t- avoidance, this is the only panel I've ever been on where all the mics are on top of the box they came in so they can be taken back to the shop. (laughs) For the purposes of those listening at home, the mics are on top of the box. (laughs) These are tiny shoe boxes. It's got the ashes of James O'Brien, that one. (laughs) Oh, sorry, I was meant to break that to you more gently. I'm I'm so sorry. It was his last wish. He wanted them scattered in the face of the audience as he left. (laughs) Cremation, that's how I want to go. (laughs) Uh, please welcome, for one of his uh, trademark hilarious monologues, uh-huh. Mr Nick Revel. Uh-huh. Thanks very much. Actually, yeah, um, ranting. Well, Lent started on Wednesday, uh, so I've decided to give a few things up uh, for purely religious reasons. Uh, well, I say religious reasons to get all the lapsed Catholics on the panel feeling a twinge of guilt, you know, to, just to remind them they haven't fully escaped. <laughs> The main thing I've given up, and this is true, I've given up alcohol. This is my fifth day without a drink, and I feel fantastic. It's awful. Uh, And the other thing that I try to give up is uh, ranting and swearing in my monologues. There's been a lot of that if you've been down to the last couple of shows. uh, And also, 
I've been getting a bit heavy on expressing homicidal fantasies. Uh, in the last two alone, I've directed homicidal fantasies at young members of the British aristocracy, Dick Cheney, uh, the entire French nation, uh, and myself. Uh, and I once uh, offered, as so-called entertainment, a graphically imagined scenario of beating George Osborne to pulp with a coal shovel, uh, all with varying degrees of irony. None of it meant sincerely. Hardly any of it meant sincerely. <laughs> but nonetheless, I hereby renounce all that. I apologize for it. So an entire monologue without violence or swearing. Oh, and I nearly forgot. I, I, almost, I, was, I would have given up cannabis for Lent, but I, I, I gave that up a long, long time ago. People don't believe me, but it's true. Uh, oh, and I would have given up cannabis for Lent, but <laughs> and so on. No. But I, I seriously have give, given up smoking weed, and the reason that I don't smoke weed anymore, it might sound wimpy to some of you, but I've stopped smoking it because I just find it too strong now, and I just really don't enjoy it, you know. I used to like to get stoned gradually through an entire evening, laid-back stage, chatty stage, hungry stage, stage where you try to find two or three people in the house who still weren't scared to go outdoors in the dark <laughs> to the late-night garage for Kit Kats. <laughs> but this turbo skunk that teenagers seem to be able to handle for breakfast now before they clock on for a shift at the call centre, which admittedly is probably the only way you get through a shift at the call centre. I take one toke on that stuff, one toke, and I'm immediately starving hungry and too paranoid to open the fridge. You know, where's the joy in that? You know? And it's not just me. There was a report this week that something like 25% of the new cases of schizophrenia in this country are uh, caused by really, really strong uh, strands of skunk. And that led me to ask a serious question to myself. I thought, what, what is it about everyday life in Britain that makes deliberately getting into a paranoid, psychotic, catatonic state an attractive alternative? <laughs> I mean, OK, life has its ups and downs, but in this country... Using drugs that turn you mental makes life better? Wait, really, in this country, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know, you're working in a crap zero-hours job in London when suddenly they sell your tower block to an American hedge fund. You can't make the rent, so you get rehoused in Landudno, which is nearer the seaside, but means a 27-hour commute on the megabus to pick up your kids from school. So they get taken into care, one in Rotherham, one in Penzance. The one in Rotherham gets pimped out by a gang of minicab drivers, and on the way to visit the one in Cornwall, you get bombed by the Russian Air Force, which makes you late for your interview at the job centre, so they stop your universal credit. And meanwhile, thanks to Saudi Arabia dropping the price of oil at America's behest to undermine the Russian economy, inflation in this country plummets, and everybody thinks the economy's in recovery and votes the Tories back in, even though Cameron had sweet for absolutely nothing to do with it. Let's not forget, by the way, David Cameron, or as the Chinese call him, spam-faced lucky imbecile creature. 
is an Eton-educated Oxford graduate with a degree in politics, philosophy and economics. He's now Prime Minister and he was unable to tell David Letterman what the words Magna Carta mean or even hazard a guess. But don't worry, Dave, it's not important. It's just a really old document about equality before the law. That was a concept they had in the old days. It cost a fortune back before someone got a proper grip on public spending and made personal liberty subject to a means test. Um, anybody got any king-size Rizzlers? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Nick Revel. Uh, Nick, of course, some people's idea of escapism is to actually escape from the country. Have you got any idea why three teenage girls from Bethnal Green would actually choose to fly to Syria <laughs> rather than live in Bethnal Green? <laughs> There's a comedy club it's, in Bethlehem Green. It's quite worrying, isn't it? There's not going to be one where they're going. <laughs> no, it's very worrying, because the normal pattern uh, in this way is for them to elope to France with a teacher. Um, I, I think the idea that British girls could be leaving the country without even having sex with someone charged with their care is quite perturbing. Well, they were inspired by one... There's one jihadi organisation. There's a female jihadi organisation called the Zohar Foundation who, who offer women... Uh, travel advice, and, and this is, again, true, I'm afraid, recipes for battlefield snacks. Uh, <laughs> it's an episode of Woman's Hour I'd love to hear. But, Gronje, if you were devoting your life passionately to an idealistic cause, would you feel existentially fulfilled if your job was making sandwiches for the men? <laughs> sounds amazing. I mean, I, I just think the whole thing is so... But I just think it's, it's a sad indictment of our political culture that ISIS, a death cult are better at, at engaging young people in politics than... Um, <laughs> like, I haven't seen people this excited since the Scottish referendum. And I just think it's, it's really sad, you know, that these girls, it's like this sort of, like, children's crusade all over again. And it's very sad. And uh, I just think there must be a way of m trying to de-glamorise it. Maybe I... My suggestion would be if we sent Gary Barlow out to Syria, if we radicalise Gary Barlow, maybe we record like a little message of him with a Kalashnikov, um, then maybe teenage girls would be like, oh, it's not so cool now, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> but you may have to be beheaded, but... There may be another... I mean, uh, the Institute for Strategic Dialogue reported this week that a lot of the women really, really love the beheadings really love the execution. So on the bright side, possibly striking a blow for feminism by destroying the stereotype of non-violent female? <laughs> you know, anything we can get will take. <laughs> also, Robin, I'm directing this at you because I know it's going to set you off. Um, <laughs> because it was in The Guardian, and it was a classic bit of Guardian, Guardian writing, uh, which is basically accusing the rest of the Western media of demonising ISIS. I'm um, still showing you know. By showing, <laughs> by showing videos of people getting their heads chopped off and burning me in a cage. They don't take a lot of demonising, do they? <laughs> but I love the fact that the Guardian is trying to go for that. No, no, they're being demonised. They're not all cutting heads off. Some of them are burning people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I find myself... Because I, I don't even know what's true. This is the trouble, is that you read that this was in the newspaper, I think, might have been true. It might have just been a dream after some Stilton that had gone off that became an editorial. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I'm lost, Kevin. I understand well, now. You know, you, you, know, you know who's looking for you, Robin. The, uh, <laughs> you know the answer to that. He's there waiting for you. Oh, um, fuck, I've left my son at Hamley's. You're right. The, um, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 
the, the, solution, the solution is quite clear, though, isn't it? Just uh, ISIS just needs to take like a full-page ad in most of the papers and tell them to shut up about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, just pour a bit of advertising and say, "Can you not just do what negative do stories? Do some nice stories about yeah, this." Yeah, or ISIS could hire Chelsea's PR department to do a really half-hearted, <laughs> half-hearted response to the fact we didn't know we had racist fans at this club. Have we got racist fans? They're not Irish. They weren't going to a game. They were going to a game. That, um, I, 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 were we all? Just, I, yeah, my, my passion amongst many things, history, people, my wife, obviously. I'm obsessed with football. I've, I, I have big romantic claims for football. I do wonder, Chelsea have only paid lip service in the past. They do the bare minimum that the Premier League has asked them to do in terms of anti-racism campaigning. They stood by their captain when he was clearly, for the purposes of uh, podcast listeners, I'm doing fake quotation marks <laughs> around the word guilty. He was clearly guilty of... Hang on, if they're fake quotation marks... Oh, no, hang on, no, legally... Quotation marks inside quotation marks. Yeah, it's like, I'm not fucking Lynn Truss, am I? Leave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They promised me Lynn Truss if I did this. I can't believe it. I've just, I've just read Lynn Truss's novel about a homicidal cat. Fuck me, that's two hours of my life I'm not getting back. <laughs> um, God, it's even longer to read than Jim <laughs> Davidson's The Full Monty, which I remember thinking, well, that'll cover me for this half-hour train journey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim Davidson, who said out loud, I only ever punched two women, and that was out of love. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. I've got a new kit, and I love that kit. And you fucking <laughs> punch that pizza in the face as I love it. Um, but my point is, you know, if if those Chelsea fans were wearing Chelsea shirts at a wedding and behave like that, if they're on the way to work, why is it any more Chelsea Football Club's responsibility their behaviour than it is their employers, for example, or their family, or those tabloids who, in the height of hypocrisy, were laying into them? And it's probably the only day this year that they haven't had a headline about immigration or pesky foreigners. Where, where, does, where does a football club's responsibility end? But isn't it just start? that there's always got to be someone saying sorry? It doesn't matter what it is. That the, the, there's this kind of obsession with the the speed of, of you know Twitter demonisation that we have to be outraged roughly. I think it's once every forty three minutes. Otherwise, our heart stops. It's kind of crank three basically. In crank three, Jason Statham has to constantly every forty three minutes tweet something incendiary enough to keep himself alive. And and I think that that's. So you have to. Uh, no one else have that. I'm selling it to him. The, uh, but it's. But I, I, so, so it then means that all that's required is a constant lip service by whichever group can be immediately linked to anything. And then once someone said sorry, and it's become a little bit of a thing, and it's had a hashtag for a while. Then it moves on to something else. Now that doesn't mean that Chelsea shouldn't say something or say, you know, we're not overly keen on our fans doing this thing. Uh, to be honest, you, you've got me on football, and I'm better on croquet, which has has far less racism though. But that is often too. It's rather uh, archaic rules of those who are allowed to play croquet. Um, but it's. Uh, but my, my, my point is this, Alex, and, and I almost admire the young lad who said, no, 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 they would, they, there's nothing to do with the fact he was black. They'd spotted he was a PSG fan and realised he'd be in trouble if he was allowed on the train with Chelsea fans. They're actually helping him for his own benefit. I'd, I've uh, seen that footage where they'd be tific, helpful faces. And also, the, 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 the 21-year-old uh, cultural tourist, the public schoolboy, who clearly thinks it's hilarious to mix with the Chelsea types, I really hope he goes to prison and ends up in a cell with a huge black man and see if he can try and push him off. Uh, but my point is though where does, where does that everybody's blaming football everybody's blaming Chelsea you travel around London you'll see that sort of behaviour still happening 
every half an hour somewhere. You travel out alone. It's, it's not. Why are we surprised that young men who are possibly, I'm guessing, tabloid readers, have got a problem? And it's, 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 it's reprehensible, but my point is, why is it Chelsea to blame and not the rest of us? Are the rest of us just trying to weasel out of... Just, just playing devil's advocate... Yes. Um, they wear Chelsea fans wearing Chelsea shirts in Paris to see a Chelsea, a Chelsea match. Um, so, I, I, I mean, if you had Oxfam volunteers sort of land in Somalia and start punching people wearing Oxfam jackets, you'd probably go, Oi, Oxfam, do something. Um, you, you wouldn't go, well, it's a general society problem, isn't it? Well, it's not just Oxfam people. There's a lot of violence about no, it. I, would, I wouldn't, because, because punching Somalians when you work for Oxfam is slightly outside your job description. <laughs> Whereas what Chelsea <laughs> basically... It's, it's <laughs> question asked and question <laughs> answered. You're asking, is it the responsibility of an organisation if a lot of its supporters happen to be racist? Which is basically the UKIP question. <laughs> uh, well, no. Uh, but UKIP, for instance, on this jihadi bride thing, do not know, they haven't said anything because it's just a dilemma. On the one I hand, they're against the radicalisation of our youth. On the other hand, ooh, self-deporting Muslims. <laughs> I'm, asking, I'm asking why a football club should do more than the rest of us should do. I think... Is what I'm asking, because I, I, I think Chelsea, and as it happens, the club I support do an awful lot of work, and the club I support, Crystal Palace, recognise the fact that there are a lot of young men who will take notice of a football club that they probably wouldn't... For example, Stoke City have got a brilliant uh, scheme because they worked out that young men don't go to the doctor. So they set doctors up at, and well-men clinics up at Stoke City because they know that they will go to a football... Well, the football club do lead, and, uh, and it, it, it works. But Chelsea, despite the fact they do the bare minimum, Chelsea have still done what they're supposed to do, what they're required to do by the football authorities in terms of kicking racism out of the game. But what are they supposed to do? What else can they do if somebody who happens to support their team? They're doing what they're going to do. They're going to ban them forever. They're going to take their season ticket off them. Well, what else can maybe, the maybe stop having teams. <laughs> it just encourages that kind of tribal thinking think that leads to racism. I think there's just one team. Is it training <laughs> that they see red and white? Oh, I hate red and white. Yes. And I hate... And then they, they think, cause I, I personally think this whole thing has got an edge of like classism to it as well because it's like oh look at like football traditionally a working class sport oh look at all these working class people being racist again and uh, that made me feel slightly uncomfortable but isn't that wouldn't that I, I would have said the same kind of images that are often shown over and over again of like you know the uh, you know Cameron's lot at Oxford then you could go oh isn't that classism I don't think it's if you just say oh it's a class thing I don't think this happened I think it's because there was the footage if it had been footage of three people in tails and top hats going get off the chew ha 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 look at the coloured fellow we'd have gone nah leave that the, there's no news in that you know that would still be I think <laughs> enough for so I'm not entirely sure whether it would but be fair to say that it's only because it's you know got that element of Ken Loach which I look for in a film for 30 second trailer <laughs> but I would I would say that there is um, like a lot of racism like in uh, traditionally upper class backgrounds but it's not as 
visual and it's, it's more subtle and it's harder to sum up in a really quick, easy way that you can then sell papers with. Oh, no, I would agree. I mean, I'm not arguing that, but what I'm saying is I think whoever it was who was filmed in that situation, if they had been stereotypically out of a Merchant Ivory movie, you know, one of them also currently on a, the cusp of homoeroticism but trying to hide it through his racism. <laughs> That's one of my favourite E.M. Forsters, by the way. And, uh, but that, then that would still be, be new, so I don't think that's kind of... I'm not sure whether that, that, that's part of it. What are Chelsea being... Because I don't really keep up to date with anything, as you know, Kevin, but what, what, what more are Chelsea being asked to do then? Because I, I don't know. But they're doing what they have to do. They're, they're identifying them. They're taking their season tickets off them. They're being told that they should do more with their traditional working-class fan base um, to educate them, shall we say, in matters of race, and point out that there's a lot of black players playing for the team, that the team is owned by... Uh, a, a Jewish billionaire, but what Chelsea struggle with, of course, is that having to openly admit that you can't educate people until you admit you've got a problem, and that, of course, frightens the sponsors and it frightens the, the TV people. And the problem is that Chelsea and West Ham were the only two clubs that openly allowed uh, Bulldog DNF magazine to be sold on outside on the club footprint. They've always attracted a certain type of fan, but they're, they're, there are fewer of them in football, there's our own society. I mean, maybe, Alex, to finish, perhaps we should be celebrating the fact that in 1985, if, if there was social media, that would have got 2,000 mm. likes or it would have been retweeted. We, perhaps we should celebrate the fact that it's been rep recognised as a reprehensible act it is and that so many other people, including other Chelsea fans, have condemned it. Is that a, a, a sign that we are going in the right direction? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, asked you the questions. I don't know. I mean, in France... <laughs> I've only done this five times. In, in France, you've got the National Front at the moment sort of leading the polls. Are we going forward? It, it looks to me like we're going backwards. Well, someone said to me that they'd been, they'd been out of the, the UK for a, about three years, and when they came back four months ago, they felt it was a lot more acceptable again to be, you know, kind of casually racist in, in that kind of, as you were saying, the, you know, UKIP. Uh, it, it's just, like, we're not a racist party. It just happens oh, that an enormous number of people for standing for us and are, are, are racist. It's one of those just weird coincidences <laughs> that occurs. Um, so I think, you know, that, yeah, whether that's... It's difficult, though, isn't it? Because it the whole is, world I mean, becomes Twitter, doesn't it? It doesn't it? It, it, it empowers it. I've had a lot more trouble in the last two years than I've had in the previous 23 years I've been in this country. It's only in the last two years I've, I've got people shouting at me in the street, go home, packy. But also that is yeah, when you, you started know. blacking up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wait, wait, listen, this, this man came up to me in a Chinese takeaway the other day, and he said, and he said, you're... You're um, Pakistani, aren't you? I said, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm Greek. No, you're Pakistani. Don't lie. <laughs> I was like, all right. Um, so that makes you sick. So I thought, okay. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It kind of, the nation separated to be Muslim. But anyway. So then he asked me to, um, to explain how people like me could support Boko Haram. And, uh, and you just look at that and you think, where the fuck do I start? I just want like to prove your Greek. Start? Do the dance. Come on. I did smash a plate in his face. That's the end of the first half. Um, uh, big round of applause for everyone in the panel. We'll see you in a bit. 
So, without further ado, uh, he was very, very funny in the first half, even though he was using a guitar for comedy purposes. <laughs> Please welcome the talents of Mr. Steve Gribbin! Thank you very much. Um, Who's the lead? The lead? Uh, yeah. If you mean James, he's not here tonight. <laughs> that was seamless. They'll cut this bit out of the podcast. Uh, no, no, we're cutting Robin Ince's bits out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a song um, dedicated to the royal family. I'm not, not much of a fan. I was brought up in Liverpool in the 70s. We have actually buried Thatcher whilst she was still alive. <laughs> but uh, this one's for Prince Andrew. Um, even amongst the notoriously thick Windsors, he's one of the thickest members of that family. <laughs> Probably his idea of protection is using two extra royal bodyguards. <laughs> this one is for the royal family, of course. The biggest scandal to engulf. It's going to get even worse. This one's called The Ballad of the Prince and the Sex Slave. How the British aristocracy must long for the time when the uh, phrase sex slave, the first bit of that was just implicit. So this one goes something like this. If any royalists in the uh, audience, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, once there was a handsome prince. All right, then there was not. But a fine, upstanding, moral human being On a billionaire paedophile's yacht Full well did he court a young maiden And he loved her right lustily But just like in golf, she was one under Ha ha, who cares, said he For twas in the Virgin Islands which did not live up to their name Up stepped bold Jeffrey Epstein And put vulnerable young women on the game I bet when she was a young girl She never thought of a world so foul She dreamt someday her prince would come But not all over a towel And so he did shag a minor Instead of just patronising them like his dad If only done his second cousin thrice removed Like the royal family always had And so the Windsor household Tried to keep the whole thing stumb The Queen said put a gag on her Andrew He said that's five grand extra mum Prince Andrew just lay there doing fuck all Like every other day of his life The greatest man in the history of the universe According to his ex-wife Yvonne said you want any extras And she whispered into his ear Andrew said no thanks I've already screwed a British taxpayer For 250 grand a year Thanks. Steve Grimmin. I think you'll find, Steve, that he does a lot of work as an unpaid ambassador for this country. <laughs> I 
Uh, please welcome back our wonderful panel, Gronje Maguire, Nick Doody, Alexandru and Robin Entz. We're going to keep the audience stuff to a, a slight minimum because we're, we are overrunning by some, uh, well, quite some time. But yes, we are, yeah, basically. It's mainly your fault, Ince. Uh, what? <laughs> I think I've been very laid back. <laughs> what do you have? Well, possibly. Well, if you have, then why would one of the questions from the audience being that scientists reckon chanting OM calms you down? Has Robin Ince tried this? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been reasonably brief with me, Anger. See, if Bob Mills was here now, he'd say Mianga was a girl from Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, I love this question. Yesterday was uh, Robert Mugabe's birthday and his party menu, uh, and I, we've verified this, is said to include two elephants, two buffalo, five impala, and a lion. And the question is, has anybody else had a birthday meal as memorable as that? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, did you... <laughs> Yeah, the thing about having elephants on the menu is no one mentions the menu in the room. <laughs> I'd also said they've also uh, added, if we extrapolate Robin's grumpiness at the age of 46, does this explain why Mugabe's like that at 91? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you've been compared to Robert Mugabe. <laughs> See, that's what you've always wanted out of life, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair to Mugabe, that's not a sentence Whoa. you're going to hear him say Whoa, I want he's, that. I want he's that. mellowed <laughs> with age. I, the he's people, the people editing this podcast, age. I want that taken out. I want that, just, I want that to be the first thing that Alex says on the podcast. I'm so sorry. Uh, right at the start, to be fair to Mugabe. I would also... On in, behalf in, of my people... In, <laughs> But we haven't Just ascertained which people you are yet, have we? Listen, <laughs> listen if no one gives us money, we're going to have to look elsewhere. <laughs> there is a terrible irony in the fact, of course, that Robert Mugabe is a Chelsea fan. <laughs> that would be a confusing scenario on a Paris metro, wouldn't it? You ain't getting on... Oh, oh apart from his skin colour, we quite admire his world view. <laughs> Do you know about the Doctor Who fans who are really angry about Robert Mugabe? They're angry Not about due to human everything. rights or anything, but <laughs> apparently he's still got a load of the supposedly lost Patrick Trout episodes. <laughs> and so, you know, fuck the human rights. There's a, there's a couple of episodes with ice warriors we've never seen. That bastard. <laughs> that would be... I mean, even for this government, that would be a flimsy pretext for invading someone, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it? I think you would get more people behind <laughs> it. I think there would be fewer people on that march coming. Actually, I was always interested to know how Patrick Trout was going to deal with those ice warriors. <laughs> the cartoon strip didn't really tell. It's just dis depressing when you watch old Doctor Who's with your son. Oh, shit, it actually was. <laughs> well, hang on, which... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, you I know you feel about Doctor Who the way some people feel about God. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe, I'm not over... I, no. I know, let's not discuss it. Three, but, uh, the no, first three Tom Baker seasons, that's all I'm asking, all right? Series. <laughs> We're not in fucking America. It's not a season. It's a fucking series. Fuck's oh, sake. You've All right, then. Of, you've right, said a lot of things tonight. That's the first thing autumn. That's the first thing that's generally annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there has been a lot of... Um, we work in a strange industry, uh, and we find this week that the people volunteering uh, to go on a one-way trip to Mars uh, are, in fact, doing it under the auspices of Endemol, who are making a very long reality show out of it. Um, does that surprise anyone, the fact that... Some of the, the inevitable scientific research that would entail 
<laughs> by sending people who want to be celebrities to Mars, it's actually being funded by Endemol. So how... Uh, sorry, no, Alex. I, I, I'm surprised that, that there are people who believe they're not going to be in an underground bunker in Pench, <laughs> frankly. Because <laughs> everyone knows that's what's going on. You know, the chances of anything <laughs> coming from Penge are a million to one, they said. Yeah, but that's it, basically. And then three years later, they're going to tell them, oh, you didn't really go to Mars. How do you feel about that? Why would... Uh, somebody, somebody would notice. I mean, I'm all for a conspiracy <coughs> theory, Alex. But somebody would notice an underground bunker in Penge. Because people... Penge is a shithole. When I say that, <laughs> as I live just down the road from it, that gives you the freedom to say Penge is a... You'd notice a hole, because people in Penge look for underground holes. Because <laughs> right? they want to improve their lot in life. <laughs> why, why would you do that? I mean, I, I said, great theory, Alex, but it's an expensive way. Probably cheaper to send them to Mars. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think instead of getting these celebrities to do the glamorous part of like going to Mars, they should force the celebrities to take part in the really tedious engineering part of the space programme. And like maybe get science degrees, maybe like get the cast from, you know, Made in Chelsea, and they're like, oh, you're going to be part of the Mars programme, but you're going to be mainly working in biological data harvesting. <laughs> and they have to do that for about 20 years. If, <laughs> but if, if, if it was celebrities that were going, if it was Katie Hopkins going, I'd be all for it, but these are members of the public that are vying with each other to be chosen by Endemol as the people that go and then will be trained for basically it's an eight-year TV project. So first of all, you get to vote for one of them, you lucky people at home. You'll get to choose one of them. <laughs> and then Endemol will choose the others. when They, they, they have to do a series of it's a knockout-style <laughs> tasks. And then they put in a house together because uh, they have to live with somebody for 18 months. And then they have psychiatric help because no one really needs to go to Mars and not come back. The not coming back thing is a fascinating thing. For well, me. hang on, so yeah, this but, is... Sorry. But, but, uh, but all this is for a television project, but only if Endemol can get it, match it. Is in crowdfunding. Is 30 years from now we're going to find Katie Hopkins has become this sort of alien queen just <laughs> dropping eggs? <laughs> <laughs> I think we found that out several weeks ago. <laughs> also, Robin and I don't think Get about that. away from <laughs> her, you... <laughs> I, I met Katie Hopkins. She's surprisingly arousing close-up. <laughs> I know. That's until got she, a close encounter until of until the sixth kind. Until though. she speaks. Um, I mean, is, is there a serious... The, it seems to me, Nick, that in terms of... Uh, I know you know maths and all that sort of stuff, which elevates I, you I, to a I level. I know of it. That, that elevate, you know uh, maths and chess. You yeah, should go into space. You're, you're working and on levels... Die up. there! <laughs> you're working on levels I can't begin to comprehend. That's, um, uh, yeah, that... If we anyone not laughing, that's why. Let's face it. <laughs> let's face it, as comedians, we don't have to go to Mars to die. We can go to Swindon and do yeah. that. <laughs> but is there a serious point there? Because it seems to me that any scientific knowledge that we gain from this is minimal compared to what we could gain on Earth by spending the money in scientific ways. I couldn't but think the, of another the way. The thing about the story is it's, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's just an absolute fucking nonsense story that the headline is humans going to Mars and you read it and it is idiots believe they will go to Mars <laughs> well, <laughs> give it not even to... proper oxygen of publicity I think <laughs> cynical <laughs> well that's a good point they haven't thought it through really because they might become famous but they're not going to get to open supermarkets are they <laughs> and they never come back they've got a breed there but they've whittled it down to 660 people and at the end it will be two men and two women so basically this is an episode of Blind Date with much more fucked up statistics. <laughs> yeah. well, same question to number 312. 
<laughs> Granted, I think they will have to go to Mars, though, because, I mean, Endemol, Endemol are an evil giant of a TV company, but even they can't just say, oh, we were lying about the fact that we're going to... Are I, they, do you think they were lying... They've done it before. What, about going to Mars? Yeah, no, yes. Going to, going to space. <laughs> they said, <laughs> oh, you're going to space, and it turned out it was Johnny Vaughan in a parka coat laughing at them. <laughs> Johnny Vaughan. <laughs> Johnny Vaughan. Stick a stair lift, ladies and gentlemen. Stick a stair lift. Along the terms, you can find all sorts of things. When did this? Honest to Mister, when was that? <laughs> Johnny Vaughan was that what ten yeah. years ago? I think yeah. something like that. Johnny Vaughan in a parka. Yeah, I just yeah. remember it was just Johnny Vaughan's smug, bald little face, cocooned in a furry parka, going ha ha ha. They think they're going to space. How funny! But didn't wasn't the problem that they didn't really that they were kind of going. I don't think we are in space. <laughs> so they then, the, every week they would get half an hour footage, which could almost look like maybe these people in a TV studio in, in wherever it was believed they were in space. But the lack of kind of evidence that they were in space was one of the things which held it back as a concept. You, 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 yeah. Some long-held beliefs I've had about TV industry. You, uh, is there a diary in the diary room? Because <laughs> you're pulling the rug from under my feet on all sorts of levels here. Alex, would you, would you be interested? I mean, would, are you, do you want to know what lies beyond, or do you think, are you one of these people who think, let's get our problems sorted out on this earthly realm first before we find out what colour the Stop dust is? Stop talking about this. If they're going to Mars, they're not going to Mars. They're going to paint. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be sitting there in the dining room going, going Mars smells like <laughs> it might do anyway. This is worrying though now because somebody do the no atmosphere joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke; it's a song. <laughs> so the the, the, yeah, the, the the space shuttle bloke who did the lovely David Bowie songs was he actually up there? Or is he in Penge as well? No, he was definitely. The, you could tell from the view that the. Uh, <laughs> the no, but listen, it's, I mean, that's an seriously, interesting. Seriously, come now. If if they're clever enough to build a fucking bunker under, they'd remember to put a view on, wouldn't they? <laughs> Well, no, this was one of the issues with that we've sent you into space programme. <laughs> the badly painted backdrop. Just of the no, but it was, um, like those black and white films playing in the background while they're driving in a car. Yeah. I mean, I, I love those kind of, you know, moon hoaxes, I think, are, they are a lot of... I remember annoying some people who believed that I was I, I, on some kind of moon hoaxing. There was loads of stuff about that. And I, I went, it turns out we didn't land on the moon. All that happened was we managed to project a hologram from Mars onto the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and I had all these people saying, you fucking idiot, that's not true. And I like the fact that the belief of how mad moon hoaxes can be was they might believe, now they believe that we went to Mars and projected, uh, should we mention we went to Mars? That'll ruin the moon hoax. <laughs> but this, I mean, I when you mentioned Katie Hopkins, that reminded me of, of the, the wonderful golden record that was uh, put on, on Voyager. And uh, thinking of sending Katie Hopkins to Mars, not necessarily being the best, you know, um, <laughs> intergalactic ambassador for us, uh, the, the, uh, the Golden Record has a message from the UN General Secretary, two extraterrestrials, inviting them to Earth. And unfortunately, our UN General Secretary at the time was Kurt Voldheim, <laughs> shortly before he was found out to be a reasonably ardent Nazi. So that's who we've been sending through, saying, hey, calm down, everything's fine here. Shut up, Fritz. <laughs> the, uh, but maybe yeah, if but, we send Katie Hopkins <coughs> to space... It will be a guarantee that we will not get invaded by aliens. We're not going to get invaded by aliens. <laughs> that's, that's, I, 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 I'm catching it now from Alex. <laughs> Somebody think, from Penge might come out of a bunker. And think about the it. gentle irony of Katie Hopkins being the illegal alien for one. That's true. <laughs> also... <laughs> What if this is the, the, the... You heard this thing recently about our, like the problem with our digital history being that we're recording everything onto like Instagram and Facebook and things and there may come a point when those just aren't compatible backwards with 
how we try and look back on the history so that we don't have any. Mm. So there may come a point when we actually send these people to Mars and then decades later forget that we ever did it. <laughs> and, then, and then in future generations, scientists will actually reach Mars and excavate and go, fucking hell, there was life here. I mean, not many of them, but they were quite preening. <laughs> Quite nice abs. <laughs> there was a man called Christopher Biggins. <laughs> Ejected very early. <laughs> that Kurt Valheim thing is only a problem if you assume that all aliens are Guardian reading liberals. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. That, that, that's what attracts them to the planet in the first place. <laughs> Maybe all the, all the planets right of us will be really attracted to us. <laughs> oh, what? No, which one's... Oh, no, I'll see you. I'll do to the right. Sorry, I'll still... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we like to finish on a series. <laughs> then I was ashamed that I couldn't tell which planets are on the right of us, but they're all in a big circle, so it doesn't matter. Does yeah, it? it's not like they're, they're, they're constantly there. <laughs> oh, God, I better not tell him that we're not the centre, it's actually the sun. This is going to ruin his day. What? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're from apes. We're not the centre of... Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and this is <laughs> At least I've still yeah. got my free will. What was that? Oh. Yeah. I'm beginning to worry that we are all in some bunker in Penge. What's, what does all existence? A big Johnny Vaughan Channel 4 show. We could be on... Oh, we could be on Mars. But we've been conned into thinking we're in a bunker. <laughs> Next week on The Twilight Zone. <laughs> Penge is one of the greatest names, though, isn't it? <laughs> Penge, yeah, because it's, it's a beautiful it's a, name. In comedy yeah. terms, it sounds a bit like binge. Yeah. Uh, it's also, really because actually, it's an anagram of meep. Yeah. <laughs> but also, didn't it, it, didn't, yeah. it, it tries to claim a Saxon history for itself and didn't exist at all until the Crystal Palace was built. It was literally a, a service centre for the builders, so it's like two pubs and a brothel. That, and it hasn't really improved that much. <laughs> Except they've taken the brothel away, so it's just two pretty shitty pubs. And some almshouses that they claim to be much older than they actually are, which is fooling no one, basically. So, frankly, how Alex thinks they've got the wearable to pretend that they're on Mars is just fucking... <laughs> it's clearly implying it's the people of Penge that are behind this in the first place. <laughs> uh, frankly. And also, uh, I, Alex, on a serious note to finish with, we... Yeah. Really? We can't, we can't pretend a bunker under Penge's Mars because it turns out, this is obviously why we're not getting involved in the Ukraine, uh, that it turns out the aircraft that have been ordered for our aircraft carriers uh, won't work in warm climates uh, because of a design fault that they couldn't afford to rectify, Brilliant. basically. So if, the, if we were to want to get involved in the war in the Ukraine, we can't do it. But do, it, it seems to me that David Cameron is stepping out of this one. Do you think it's time that we admitted that we're not global players anymore, that we should leave big decisions about Ukraine and Russia to bigger, stronger nations? Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, <laughs> in the edit... <laughs> you've given them the chance there. In the edit, it will say to be fair to Robert McGarvey. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Smash the plate in Smash yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, li listen, I mean... Ukraine has been an interesting, an interesting experiment on how inefficient and garbage a system democracy is, really. Because um, when, you, when you have an autocratic person at the top, they've invaded and annexed a, a, an entire sort of region 
while we're still debating what day we're going to discuss it in Parliament. <laughs> or whether we can go to war, or it's too near the spring, yeah, or... and the aircraft carrier will melt. Have we got enough gas? Did you put money in the key, Angela? <laughs> did you put money in the key? <laughs> this is vital. See, I've got a beautiful image of this aircraft carrier. It's actually made out of bulbs. So if we do it, we're going to be a warship that suddenly went into bloom. <laughs> I think you have to hand it to Putin, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you, have <laughs> you two are working very well together. <laughs> Give him his due, because, you know, the last year or so, there has been a lot of celebrations and commemorations for the start of World War I, hasn't there? There'd be, we've had documentaries, we've had books coming out, we've had celebrations. That man has taken it, he's gone to the next level to celebrate the centenary. <laughs> he has recreated exactly the conditions that started World War I in the first place. So I just think fair play to him. But Nicky does... I think we will, on we that will motif, him, I think, I, think, I think he will, if he keeps expanding into Eastern Europe, he will, he will end up being fought by the British, but just not the British army. Just stag dudes. <laughs> we have a lot of very aggressive British people are constantly in Eastern Europe now. But to be Alex, he does. I mean, if we're if we're being fair to Putin, he does. He knows his audience, doesn't he, Putin? He absolutely knows the people he's playing to back home in Russia. And again, there is there are parallels with Greece because, you know, with the oil prices being what they are, suddenly the Russian economy is taking a nosedive. So he's selling Russia as the victim of Western imperialism. He's saying we're we're standing as a bulwark against you know. NATO promised they wouldn't expand further east. EU promised they wouldn't expand further east. And they seem to buy that narrative. The Russian people seem to buy into that narrative, don't they? Well, um, maybe there's something to that narrative. To be fair to Robert Mugabe. <laughs> 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 you know, um, yeah. I, listen, Someone, and I have no idea who this was, and I say it all the time, so I've stolen this man's words, and I don't remember who he is, but he said that basically everything that's going on at the moment, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Ukraine, has to do with basically Obama's decision to withdraw the states from international affairs after having spent 60 years stirring it. Mm. Suddenly the US went, do you know what? We're spending a lot of money on this. We don't care. Um, and it's left all those areas in disarray, and we have to decide whether we get involved or step out as well. Hmm. I was going to say something, <laughs> say something there, but according to the new house style, I would have to start it with, give Himmler his due. <laughs> <laughs> this has been no pressure to be funny. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, please join me in, in thanking Robin Ince, Alex Andreo, Nick Doody, and Gronny Maguire. I've been Kevin Day. Thank you. <laughs>